is a great commission publications. They're excellent material on Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, we have come down to Vanity Fair. Valley of Humiliation was where we learned to stick it to Apollyon. Christian and a fellow named Hopeful. Hopeful. Hopeful is from Vanity Fair. Uh, Hopeful has witnessed the testimony of Faithful and not is a believer in the Lord but doesn't have an assurance, basically, is Hopeful. He is now with Christian. And they go through a plane called Ease, and then they get off the track and bypass Meadow. And when we get off the track, we're the Lord's people. He will discipline us. But that discipline feels an awful lot like punishment when it comes to being in the next spot, Doubting Castle. Psalm 88. And I'm going to change the last half of verse 18 to what I think is a, is a better, a little bit better translation than in the ESV, Psalm 88. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I count it among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You, you, you have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah, stop and think about that. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you, O Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Darkness is my closest friend. And then in the book of 2 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, just, just listen. You know, One verse in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Let's pray. Our Father, we don't we don't we don't like to be open and honest about the doubting castles to which we all come 
at times in our lives. But this is a time as we deal with this wonderful opening up of what we technically call experimental Christianity, a Christianity that is worked out in the laboratory of the heart. Our Father, this time now we pray that we would be honest about this this thing that we call depression and the ways of God with your people and the way we, by your grace, get out of doubting castles in which we will sometimes find ourselves locked. So grant your blessing now, we pray, and we ask this in the mighty name of the mighty great physician of the soul, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Bunyan is, is very insightful about the ways of God with his people. After the agony of Vanity Fair, Christian is thrilled by having Hopeful with him as a friend who comes out. And they're in a plane called Ease, and it's a time of relaxation and refreshment. And then they make the mistake of going in, as you can see it here, by Path Meadow, that's going to lead them to Doubting Castles. Very insightful, the ways of God with his people. Times like a family camp are times of personal revival, as they were for the time for Christian and for hopeful, times of revival in the Valley of Ease. But there are times where the wonders of Sunday and the glories of Sunday are really carried into other parts of the week. Things like camps will do that. Uh, Things like Bible conferences will do that. Things like activity at chapel or uh, working in Prague or wherever it would be. We get excited in our Christian lives, and God brings those wonderful times of personal revival. But the experience of the most seasoned saints is that after the highs that come, and there can be the lows, times of temptation and uh, vulnerability, uh, when, like Christian and hopeful, we take the bypath meadows and go out of the narrow way. And now for Bunyan, there was kind of a narrow view of what can bring us into Doubting Castle, the pleasures of sin. We'll see it's much broader than that in a little bit, but it's true that the pleasures of sin for a season that we may indulge ourselves in on Bypath Meadow will inevitably bring us to Doubting Castle times of advancement in our lives and our pride comes our own sense of self strength and pride does go before destruction those fantasies that for a while were kept in check are allowed to be let loose into actual affairs and we live a life of deception the liberty that we enjoy in Christ can be abused to substance abuse and resulting bondage. Success that we enjoy in life can lead us to stubbornness and can lead us to an unwillingness to listen. And we have the stubborn spirit, the haughty spirit that goes before the fall. Or we begin to indulge in light anger and light rage. And in that bypath meadow, it surely, inevitably becomes the fury that, if unleashed, would be murder. For a season, these things happened. And the Bible does say, be sure your sins will find you out. And especially in an age of very light views of sin, what we're going to cover now is 
is very, very important to realize that sin has its consequences. Here's what we're going to deal with. Just real quickly, the story, the story of Doubting Castle. And then a, a, a little bit about, about yes and no with respect to depression, uh, developing a little bit of what Bunyan has here, and then the ways in which we deal with our own personal Psalm 88 experiences. Pilgrim's Progress. We're getting there, folks. Now, not far from this place where they slept, which is by Path Meadow, and there was a castle called Doubting Castle, the owner of it being Giant Despair, and Christian and Hopeful were lying asleep in his territory. Therefore, having risen early in the morning while walking up and down in his fields, this giant caught Christian and Hopeful asleep in his realm. And then with a grim and surly tone to his voice, he ordered them to awaken and he tell them where they were from and what they were doing on his property. They replied that they were pilgrims who'd lost their way. And then said the giant, you have trespassed against me by trampling upon and lying upon my grounds. Therefore, you must come with me. So they were forced to go with the giant because he was stronger than they. And as they went along, they had really very little to say because they knew that this circumstance was their own fault. And therefore, the giant drove them in front of him and eventually secured them in his castle by locking them in a very dark dungeon that was so foul and stinking to the spirits of these two prisoners, Christian and Hopeful. Here then they lay from Wednesday morning until Saturday night without receiving a bit of bread, a drop of drink, any light whatsoever. It's very important they're in darkness or even someone to ask how they were. Therefore, they found themselves in an evil situation while being far from friends and acquaintances. Sounds like Psalm 88. And so in this place, Christian sorrow was multiplied because it was on account of his hasty advice that they had been brought into this very distressing state of affairs. Just a little bit on the, the story itself. Um, during that time on Thursday, giant despair comes characters, incidentally, in Doubting Castle. What is Doubting Castle? Doubting Castle is, in our own personal experience, the time in which the promises of God seem very, very far away from us. And the two characters here that are in the castle are giant despair and his wife. And the wife is actually Bunyan's depiction of what Job's wife was like to him. It is Thursday, and giant despair beats Christian and hopeful. And you think for all the world they're going to die. But there's a power in back of giant despair and his wife. And suddenly in the midst of beating Christian and hopeful to kill them, giant despair loses the use of one of his limbs. How interesting. And then on Friday, he tempts them to suicide. You might as well curse God and die, as Job's wife told him. But they reason. Sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And God may well intervene, they said. Friday night, they're weak and they are near to death. But they raise their Ebenezer, and they remind themselves of how the Lord has helped them in the past, even when they are in Doubting Castle. But on Saturday, 
Christian and hopeful are shown the beached, the bleached bones of those who have died in Doubting Castle. But at the end of the day, they are they're still they're still enduring. Uh, they are like uh, that person whose soul is like the fire against the wall. The devil is wanting to douse it with all of the buckets of water, but Jesus Christ is still giving them the oil of the Holy Spirit. And praise the Lord for that. See, it's not just the perseverance of the saints, it's the perseverance of our God with us. And when true Christians are in Doubting Castle, even when giant despair is dumping the water on our faith, the Lord by the Holy Spirit is is giving us the oil that keeps the fire burning. Okay, that's something of the story. Now, in your notes, I've got this kind of enigmatic sometimes and sometimes not. Sometimes despair does come because of sin. Our consciences are beaten because of our guilt. And yes, in some cases, there are even temptations to suicide. We begin to fear that things will only get worse. And that is the danger of going out of the narrow way. Conscience beaten, temptations that can come even to suicide, a fear that things will only get worse. And then, for many people, it is not just the course of sin and bypass meadow. And this is what's inexplicable. In some people, some people who live in an almost consistent low-pressure system of the soul, they are melancholy, as the language is. They are those who experience Doubting Castle, not because of personal sin, but for fill-in-the-blank. We don't know exactly why. And that melancholy temperament, that consistent low-pressure system, is not bad in itself. It does give a sensitivity to sin and to misery. Uh, One of the texts that we are very uncomfortable with in James chapter 4 is James saying there's a time to lament, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to weep. Ecclesiastes says there is a time of weeping. I suggest we do need more times along with joy of lamentation for sin in our land. And remember that if despair has slain its thousands, lightness towards sin and insensitivity toward God and his holiness has slain its multiplied billions. So there are those who are constitutionally melancholy. But that can go from a period of mild depression mild lowness to more or less of a sense of despair. If you go two, three, four days in that very low state where you are in your soul flying at a low altitude and you're seeing all of the trees of your weakness and your failings up at close range and you can't get out of that, you may be facing a longer depression and even a time of despair 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said that we despaired almost even of life. We were perplexed, but we, we were not completely cast off, but he was very, very low. And what is that time of depression or despair like? There's a sense of darkness, a sense of both hopelessness and helplessness. The only thing that you see is the dark cave in front of you. There is an inability to focus on anything but the self and a sense of misery. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 9, and their psalmist has an eye problem. I was, I could not sleep. I would not my soul would not be comforted. I meditated in the night, and I became more distraught. That's, that's the picture of this kind of depression. There's a sense of guilt. There's a sense of shame. There's a sense of hopelessness. And that, that low-pressure system that envelops you, who are given to these sometimes inexplicable periods of depression, will not only afflict you, they will afflict your spouse, they will afflict your children, they will afflict your parents. And it has been, in not a few cases, diagnosed as a form of mental illness. What brings it on? What brings on these experiences of being in Doubting Castle? Well, surely Bypath Meadows will do it. But there are other things. You see, the reason why there are these times of darkness in general is we're fallen people, folks. And we're in a fallen world. And it is a world outside of Christ of sin and misery. And honesty about sin and misery doesn't make you very happy. And so what brings it on? Sometimes it's a sense of just being deserted. Even my own familiar friends have abandoned me. I am alone, or I feel alone. Bereavements will bring this on. When you lose one that you love, a parent, a spouse, a child, any kind of loss will bring this on. The inheritance to which you looked, not that you trusted in, but you looked to it so that your retirement could be at least a little bit comfortable. And for whatever reason, it's gone, or most of it is. Disappointments and difficulties, and possibly the worst, memories. And sometimes, even apart from any of these things, this melancholy state, this depression, this being in Doubting Castle just comes, and you feel like you only deserve to die. Elijah, 2 Kings and 19.4, Lord, take my life. And Contra John Bunyan, a true Christian, a true Christian 
can sink so low in his or her Christian life that as heinous a sin as it is, that Christian can take his or her life. I don't want to be one who does, and you don't want to be one who does either. But the fact of the matter is, there is no sin other than the unforgivable sin that even the greatest Christian, the most superior Christian, cannot commit if left to himself or herself. William Cooper, C-O-W-I-E-R, often mispronounced Cowper, was a man who wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, was a man given to that kind of melancholy. And he wrote in his poem, The Castaway, he wrote of a shipwrecked man who died at sea. And nearing the end of the poem, he tells us why he meditates on the man who sank beneath the waves. Uh, Cooper wrote, but misery still delights to trace its semblance in another's case. No voice divine the storm allayed, no light propitious shone, when snatched from all effectual aid we perished alone. But I, beneath a rougher sea, and whelmed in deeper gulfs than he. Yeah, that can affect a real Christian. Now just a couple of notes, because I don't want to stay on this, this level with it. Brothers and sisters, don't become impatient with people to become depressed. You've got to have sympathy with people who, for whatever reason, bypass metal or the fill in the blank reason, become severely depressed. And often, there are no easy and quick answers. Just read your Bible, just pray about it. Should you read your Bible? Should you pray? Yes, we'll come to that. That's a very facile answer. And for someone who's in the deep darkness of depression, it's not going to help. You always point them to Jesus. And with that in mind, just a, a little note on Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We may share in those splinters of that cross. But the fulfillment is in Christ. You see Christ in Gethsemane carrying the cross. You see him as he is crucified. And it's not coincidence that the metaphor, the picture, what really happened, of course, of that experience of being truly abandoned by God is darkness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here's the reason. It is that Christ might become the exalted light who alone can really dispel the darkness. He is the light who enlightens every man who comes into the world. I am the light of light. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will not remain in the darkness. And to the Christian, to the one in Christ, there's darkness, but there's no curse in it because Jesus took that curse. Darkness for the Christian is transmuted into the discipline of a gracious Father who will take that darkness with no curse in it 
and work in that person to eventually exalt Christ the light. Christ is indeed a sympathetic high priest. He went through the depths of the darkness of real abandonment so that he might understand your felt sense of abandonment in your prayers. And even though you feel alone in your darkness, you're not. Jesus' curse was in part to be forsaken of his Father. There's no curse to you. And though you may feel forsaken, you are not but God, but God, but Jesus. But what do you do to resist giant despair when giant despair comes to you in the form of what has been described by Ed Welch as that stubborn darkness. I don't know any other phrase that better describes this kind of depression as that stubborn darkness. Well, let's spend a few minutes that we have today to, in this time before we break for lunch, let's talk about natural aids and helps, okay, and supernatural aids and helps when we are in the doubting castle. Some would say, well, just go out and have a good laugh. Humor is a good way to kind of break through the clouds of, of darkness, and it may help. But Proverbs 14 and verse 13, the first part says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. You, you all have experienced this. Well, they say, well, we need to sing. And the Bible does speak about singing as a way to deal with the darkness that may come upon us. But Proverbs 25 and verse 20, whosoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment. I don't think you know in California what this means, but we do out in New York. Takes off a heavy garment, takes off a garment on a cold day and is like vinegar on soda. So singing doesn't always do it. Charles Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon was, for all of his gifts, and perhaps because of his many gifts, was a man who knew long bouts of depression. As you go through his corpus of sermons, there'll be periods in which, for several months, there's no sermon by Charles Spurgeon because he was in his state of depression. And he recounts in his magnificent chapter for ministers in particular, the minister's fainting fits, which are times of depression. Spurgeon gives this counsel, he who forgets the humming of the bees among the heather, the cooing of the wood pigeons in the forest, the song of birds in the woods, the rippling of rills among the rushes, and the sighing of the wind among the pines, needs not wonder if his heart forgets to sing and his soul grows heavy. A day's breathing of fresh air upon the hills, or a few hours ramble in the beech woods, and I love this word, umbrageous calm. I guess that's the equivalent of your strawberry walk this day, right, this morning. Would sweep the cobwebs out of the brain of scores of our toiling ministers who are now but half alive. A mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face would not give grace to the soul, but it would yield oxygen to the body, which is the next best thing. Heaviest the heart is in a heavy air, 
Every wind that rises blows away despair. The ferns and the rabbits, the streams and the trouts, the fir trees and the squirrels, the primroses and the violets, the farmyard, the new-mown hay, the fragrant hops, these are the best medicine for hypochondriacs, the surest tonics for the declining, the best refreshment for the weary, for lack of opportunity or inclination. These great remedies God gives are neglected, and the student becomes a self-immolated victim. Wow. There's no nature-grace dichotomy for Spurgeon. I say that's one of the reasons why, isn't it wonderful up here in the mountains? You see, I saw one of the most bluest blue jays I've ever seen in my life. And even though I was exhausted this morning, I saw that beautiful thing sprightly springing up in the trees. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. If you can do that for that thing, you can do it for me. It's that kind of a thing. Okay, So that's, that's what Spurgeon is getting at uh, when he talks about um, just getting away, Okay, what he calls quiet hours of, of, well, he used the term calm retreats, but Spurgeon can't be right on everything, but you get the point. Quiet hours of calm retreats or help with depression. When we do what? Get away. Get outside. Uh, let, let the sun of the solar system and the sun of righteousness rise with healing in his wings. I, I've, got, I've got to read this, too, from Spurgeon. This is great under the minister's fainting fits. Who can help being out of this, he wrote this, what, 150 years ago, folks. Who can help being out of breath when the race is continued without intermission? Even beasts of burden must be turned out to grass occasionally. The very sea pauses at ebb and flood. Earth keeps the Sabbath of the wintry months, and man even when exalted to be God's ambassador, must rest or faint, must trim his lamp or let it burn low, must recruit his vigor or grow prematurely old. It's wisdom to take occasional furlough. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. On, 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 forever, without recreation, may suit spirits emancipated from this heavy clay. But while we are in this tabernacle, this body, we must every now and then cry, Halt! And serve the Lord. Listen to this. Beautiful. And serve the Lord by holy inaction and consecrated leisure. Let no tender conscience doubt the lawfulness of going out of harness for a while, but learn from the experience of others the necessity and duty of taking timely rest. Our depressions may simply be because you haven't halted. Okay. Exercise. Again, we're dealing with natural helps here for just a moment. Exercise uh, is certainly a benefit. The Bible does not say bodily exercise profits nothing. It always says profits little. But good extra, especially for a minister. One of the things I miss here is I don't have the time to exercise the way you do. I've got to get some rest and prepare, but I'm looking forward to getting back to the fitness center just for that time. We even know from exercise the serotonin level increases and all that good stuff. But however God has wired us, exercise will help. Saying no, as we spoke about yesterday, getting away from the oppression of the daily schedule 
and daily intrusions by saying no will help when we're in Doubting Castle. Being very careful about what we watch and what we listen to, especially on Sundays when we're meant to be refreshed, and especially in the evenings before you go to bed. If you want to go to bed with a sense of misery and depression, then watch the late night news and you'll get it. As we mentioned yesterday, sleep. The Lord gives his beloved sleep. One, I don't know who wrote this, but it sure is powerful. Exhaustion, this person wrote, combined with sleeplessness, is a rare torture. Exhaustion combined with sleeplessness is a rare torture. For those with depression, medications, yes or no. I have absolutely no sympathy with the view of so-called biblical counseling that spurns the careful use of medications under doctor's direction for times of depression. Take a little wine for your stomach and for your frequent infirmities. Fascinates me that the Lord Jesus used spittle, spit, on the eyes of a person that he would make to see. He didn't need to do that. But for some reason, he at that point used substance that was somehow connected with his healing work. I don't know how or why, but that's intriguing. Our Lord will often use means. Use them wisely. Use them in faith. Don't trust in medications. And we shouldn't be dominated by them. And I do think that James 5, verses 14 and 15, is any one of you sick? That's an extreme sickness. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, which is not a ceremonial anointing. It's the Greek word thalpo, which was a very basic medical treatment. It would be kind of close to some of what might be called massage therapy in our day. Let them pray over him, spiritual remedy, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's the basis for the connection of the ministry to the soul and the ministry to the body. But there again, with wise pastoral care, the use of medications. Stimulants, wine is not a stimulant, alcohol is not a stimulant, it's actually a depression, but it does make glad the heart of man. Give wine to those in distress of soul. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by any wise use. And if you can't use it wisely without overdoing, then don't use it, okay? But these are things in God's medicine bag that we can draw from in Doubting Castle, and for me and for others, and I hope you won't be offended by this. I follow in the train of the great missionary to the New Hebrides, John G. Payton, not that I'd been to the New Hebrides, uh, but John G. Payton, who actually lost his wife and I think a couple of his children shortly after he, he was there in the mission field in the New Hebrides. There's a very touching section where at the end of a long day of missionary work that could be very discouraging, he would smoke his pipe. And he has a great comment about the friendship that he had with his pipe and that relaxing time at the end of a day, at least for me and for others. Use wisely, judiciously, that's a help. Diet, 
diet again you've got to be careful but one of our elders had a wonderful wonderful dictum i loved it we dealt with a lady who was always always constitution she was ill she was always depressed because she was ill and coming away from a counseling session where we tried to be of help to her again and again after again and again he said on the phone he said you know bill i think sometimes the best remedy for some people is a good plate of fried chicken why I like Popeyes, perhaps a little bit too much. <laughs> Music. Music can be of help. David, of course, played the harp to Saul. I love getting to know Hannah uh, and, and, her, and her harp. And, and what a wonderful way that we can be soothed with music. Sometimes, I must confess, when I am in a low state, I don't want to listen to music. I don't want to listen to Christian music. I want to be quiet. But there's other times that will, that will help. James 5 and verse 13, is anyone sorrowful? Let him sing psalms, okay, or hymns as well. And fellowship, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 27 and verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, but a merry heart does good like a medicine. Sometimes... Yeah, some good humor. Just to have a good laugh will help you out. Now, now see, why do I mention these natural things? Remember, grace is not at war with nature. Grace is at war with sin. And the Bible does say the world and all things, whether it be the pipe and tobacco, or if you need it, the antidepressant medication, or the music, or the humor, whatever it would be, all of these things are in the medicine bag that we can draw from when we're in depression. But then the supernatural remedies, Psalm 77. I love the way Psalm 77, it's the classic psalm about depression. The psalmist has an eye problem. I, I, was so, I was so uncomforted that I could not sleep. My soul refused to be comforted. And I think there's like a dozen references to himself in those first nine verses over and over and over again, focusing on himself, which is one of the reasons why our culture of merriment is also a culture of depression, because it's self-centered. And right in the middle of that psalm, the Hebrew reads simply this, years of the right hand of the Most High. God hasn't changed. And from then the psalmist meditates on God's work, and he weaves together the deliverance of Noah and his family through the flood and the deliverance of the Israelites through the Red Sea. And he says the Lord's footsteps were in the sea. They weren't seen, they weren't known, but you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And whatever his problem is, it's not solved, but he know he leadeth me, O blessed thought. So supernatural remedies, and then we'll wrap all of this up. I hate to call Jesus a remedy, but he is the bomb of Gilead. You're in Doubting Castle, but Jesus. He is the place of rest. He is the place of light. He is the place of... He is the one who is the medicine for the soul. He is the stimulant that you need. The Lord Jesus Christ has in himself all things, and that's why you always cherish the free offer of the gospel. Anyone who thirsts, everyone who thirsts, whatever you are, come, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what isn't bread? Come on. Come to the Lord Jesus and all of your need and bring it to him. And then, of course, yes, you do pray. Whether you feel like it or not, you pray. 
Let them anoint him with oil and pray over him. James speaks like that. See, prayer, folks, turns you from yourself to God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And we didn't even mention last night of the armor, the weapon of what? All prayer. All prayer. Always, always looking to the Lord, whether you feel like it or not. And remember, brothers and sisters, that depression is warfare. In Doubting Castle, there's a war by giant despair against Christian and hopeful. Oh, what griefs we often! Oh, what griefs we often carry! Oh, what needless pain we bear! All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And then, last, and then we'll wrap this up with just a tad of Pilgrim's Progress. The promises, folks. In Christ, you have blood purchased, exceeding great and precious promises that by them. You not only escape the corruption that is in the world by lust, but you get out of doubting castle. The promises of God. What are the promises of God? They are the stepping stones that you walk on as you go through the streams of this light. They are the dots and the shafts of light in that dark tunnel of your depression. They they are the air pockets the air pockets when you are in the cold waters of depression and it's all looking like ice above you. It is the air pocket that you breathe to keep yourself alive. Those are the promises. How do you, how do you ransack those promises? Folks, mark your Bibles. It's not a sin of any sort to underline things in your Bibles. And even as I love to do, use different markers in your Bibles. Mark those promises, the ones that have been particularly helpful to you. Sometimes I'll even put down a date in it, knowing that that was a particular help to me in that way. Write the promises out. We had a lady years ago, she had, I believe, six children, and her husband left her, virtually destitute. And the way spiritually she got through that time is she wrote out promises and put them throughout the house. Even her children as they grew up, all of whom are following the Lord now, uh, remember those promises. Send those promises to others. My dear brother, sister, in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all affliction, that we might be able to comfort others with the same comfort with which we are comforted of God I don't really know what to say to you in this trial, but I have found this text of Scripture to be so helpful to me. That kind of a way of ministering to others. And then, of course, praying the promises. Praying the promises. And don't don't you love to do that? Lord, you said it. I can't stand that bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Since when did my belief in God's promises have that much of a cementing power to the infinite God? Here's what it is. God said it. That settles it. I believe it, and I pray it. Right? Isn't that the way you do it? Okay, let's wrap it up with this. Because we've got to get them out of Doubting Castle. Now, not far from this place. Oh, well, that's the way they got into Doubting Castle. Let's get them out of it, Okay. Well, on the Saturday about midnight, the prisoners began to pray. 
And they continued in prayer until almost the break of day. Now a short while before it was daylight, Christian, like someone suddenly amazed, broke out with the most passionate exclamation. What a fool I've been to be like this in a stinking dungeon when I could just as well have walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. And then said hopeful, whew, that is good news. My good brother, immediately take it out of your chest pocket. Let's try it. And then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock of the dungeon door. And as he turned the key, the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease so that Christian and Hopeful immediately came out. And then he went to the outer door that leads into the castle yard, and with his key this door also opened, and after that he went to the outer iron gate, for that needed to be unlocked as well. Now this lock was, this is Bunyan's expression, now this lock was damnably hard, devilishly tight, and yet the key did eventually open it, so they thrust open the gate and made their escape with great speed. But, 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 as it opened, that particular gate made such a creaking sound that it awakened giant despair, who hurriedly arising to pursue his prisoners, suddenly felt a paralysis come over his limbs, for his seizures came on him once again, so that it was impossible for him to chase after the escapees. And then Christian and Hopeful went on till they came to the king's highway once again. And here they were safe, because they were out of the giant's jurisdiction. What a wonderful king we've got. Let's stand and let's pray. Our Father, we praise you that Jesus is the light. And so for those of us who go through longer or shorter periods of darkness, we praise you that that light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it. Grant us, we pray, our Lord, to make use of these natural remedies, whether it be humor or whether it be appetite or exercise, whatever it would be, make use of these things, but never trust in them. May we realize that only the Lord Jesus can bring us out of Doubting Castle, and that certainly we are meant to pray to him, and above all, that Jesus gives us his promises and assures us that in his time and in his way, they will come to pass. Be with our brothers and sisters even now, going through these difficult times and personal valleys of the shadow of death. But our Lord, bring them through. Bring them through so that giant despair doesn't conquer them and let them not only be on the king's highway heading to the celestial city, but to be on it joyfully. To the glory of Jesus, amen.